everyone. Thank you so much for joining the Behind Company Lines podcast. Today, we have Jean-René Boudron, CEO and co-founder of Chameleon. Chameleon is an optimization platform which helps marketing and product teams build better experiences and better products to drive exponential online growth. Jean-René, I'm so excited to chat with you and, and learn about your founder story and your journey. I know You've been around the block for a few years and you have a lot of insight in terms of not only current kind of tech and, and software and how companies are moving and, and what the kind of revenue that they're trying to generate and the different ways that they're doing it, but also you have some historical background and experience kind of has as, you know, IT and, and where has essentially changed over the years. And I would love to learn and jump right into it before we talk about Chameleon. What What's kind of the with Web3, just as an as a interesting anecdote, with Web3 and this whole kind of new age of, of technology and web and experience, how much is this similar to what you've seen before with Web2 and, and how much is different that you're interested and excited about in this new ecosystem of the web? Well, what I would say is that Web3 is, is a more competitive market. Uh, yeah. Things are going faster. Things are going also with more and more uh, competition and also more and more money. Yeah. So there is always hunger yeah. for change. And uh, the more we go, because I'm, I'm like a veteran. I've been in the business for more than 30 years now. But I yeah. see that things are always speeding, speeding up. So we have to yeah. keep pace with the speed of this whole thing. Yeah. And when you think about growth and, and revenue growth, that you know, even back in your career, what are some of the main drivers or I guess, what are some companies that are successful doing in terms of their strategies towards revenue growth that you've seen kind of over the years? Well, well, first today, you have to make bets that you had time to make before. And that's the, the, the real difference with before. When you got a good, you have to put this idea of the market real, real quick. In the very same time, well, the story, you don't, want to, you don't want to be too early in the market because otherwise you are the one who's yeah. educating the market, but you're not getting the rewards. But there is no time to, to wait. You know, yeah. So I would say difference now with before is you have to make a bet. So you have to be here much in advance, which I guess is one of the reasons why you get so many companies who are really heavily funded because yeah. you, know, you want to take you know, the, 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 uh, the bet real soon. And not yeah. wait for the old proof to be here uh, to jump into the market. Yeah, it's so fascinating thinking about timing and, and how crucial that is to a lot of companies. Not only just building and developing, but you know, launching a product and, and kind of creating a really well-timed go-to-market strategy to really try to at yeah. least capture some users or get people get using your product attraction in that way. And being that you you've worked with in so many different countries and in so many different similar industries within those countries. How do, for, for the audience members who don't know, how do the mechanics of launching a product differ between the different countries you've worked with? Are the users differently or are human, is human behavior fairly predictable in terms of how you launch a, launch a product, gain users, start becoming, getting user feedback, start adjusting you know, your, yeah. your product? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point you're making here. Now you have to be global anyway. So one thing... You could be a leader in the past in one given country, and that was it. Today, you have to be a global player. So it's okay to be local for three or four years, but then you have to be global. And yeah. I mean, no doubt that all countries in the world now are much more receptive to what's going, what's coming from the outside. Like yeah. in Europe, you take obviously France or Germany, everybody's looking at what's going on in the other countries, and they're much more open than they used to be in the past. In the very same time, well, you have to be global, but well, be your motto, which is think global, act local, because people will stay where they are and who yeah. they are. And we are in the US, 
North America, in the UK, Germany, France, Italy, I still give a certain freedom to the local teams because you don't sell the same, the same way. Yeah. I should say people are not buying the same way in each different country. If I take Germany, for example, they are the ones who like to open the hood. So it doesn't really help to come and say, look, I'm the leader, I'm the number one player, and believe what I say, I got this great technology. They will open the hood. So you have to go through the tech thing and explain exactly what you do. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the best way to buy things, but that's the way they buy. They don't uh, trust you uh, just on your word. They want mm -hmm. to make sure that what you say is what there is under the hood. As opposed to in the UK or in the US where the promise and where yeah. you want to go is more important. So it's not really what we have, it's you know what it means as well. Yeah. And once again, this is an important point as well. So people are buying different way from one country to another. Yeah. And when you're kind of, I guess, going through that process outside of having experience, but yeah. say I was a founder with, with less of a 10 years yourself, where do I go to find the information that will help me, say, sell into or understand my buyer demographic more if I don't have that experience and, and if I'm launching a product mm -hmm. globally? The question was, how, where do I go if I'm a founder to get the information on where to, where to identify my buyers or, or how the buying kind of yeah. personality is in those countries? Yeah, I would say there are two ways to look at it. I mean, either you are in your own country and you want to sell worldwide and yeah. you would have limited success anyway. Otherwise, yeah. you have to rely on, on, on locals. So the best ones to sell to German people are obviously, you know, Germans because they understand each other. So it's better to have your team who's adapting to what you want to do instead of asking your customers or your, your leads, potential leads to adapt to what you're saying. So it's really, there are two ways. You can stay global and then you try to send local. And if your product is really far ahead, anybody else, you may be successful, but today competition is fierce. So you'd better rely on local teams. Yeah, yeah. I, it's a question of really culture. Um, yeah. So uh, and and you know what culture is? It's minor differences, but these minor differences make the difference at the end. Yeah, yeah. You know, thinking about this this idea of optimization and thinking more in terms of, of yeah. chameleon in this platform. Mm -hmm. Discuss kind of the 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 testing process. I think. Obviously, a lot of founders know you, you must test whether it's A-B testing, A-B-C testing, multiple ways to engage with or understand your customer or client. But what are some ways that people or, or some mistakes that companies make when testing? And, and how have you kind of addressed that with Chameleon as a product? Well, experimentation is really a culture. The number one mistake is to think that one, uh, one size fits all. Mm -hmm. And for example, we often get the question from our customer, oh, can you give me you know, the good ideas, the others, which is a good way to look at it because it, it's inspiration. Sure. But it's very unlikely that one test, even in the same vertical, in the same field, in the same business, one test on one website, the same thing is going to give the same results to somebody else. So, of course, everybody wants to save time and have things on the shelf, yeah. uh, but it, it doesn't work that way. I mean, experimentation is really an iterative process. It's a way to better know your users on the website, but it's always users related to your website and to what you are selling, what you're offering to these, to these users. Yeah. And what are some of the best practices thinking about if I'm a founder looking to test my product with my customers and, and I want to mm -hmm. test a few different variables, whether it's messaging or whether it's something on my website, positioning of certain, I guess, assets to, to gain attraction or attention. What are some of the best practices when thinking about testing and, and testing a hypothesis overall? And, and how do you formulaically do so so you get the best results or actually more so get the results that you're looking for, <laughs> get the data that yeah, you're looking yeah, for? Right. 
Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a, it's, it's a very good point. I mean, it's actually, there's a, there's a methodology. You always have to go and start with the hypothesis. I mean, what do you want to reach yeah. at the end? I mean, which hypothesis, which question does it relate to? And what do you want to test? So you have to know what, which outcome you're looking for. So you want, you want to know which result you want to get. Not getting into, yeah, well, I just want to test this thing. Okay. But what's the outcome of it? I mean, if it increases by 10%, okay. But what's your final goal? Is it to increase retention? Is it to just push people to another page? Is it to the final conversion rate of your website? Or is it increasing uh, the time that people are spending on, on, on the website? So exactly as you were saying or implying your question, yeah. writing the hypothesis at the beginning is very important. So yeah. experimentation is not only a technical thing, it's also a strategy uh, in itself. Yeah, yeah. And in regards to Chameleon, what does it allow to do? Tell us a little bit about the, the, the product. What does the platform allow the marketers, the product teams, and, and even engineering, right? All those involved yeah. in the testing process. What does it allow you to do from a user standpoint if I'm working with the product and, and going, through, going through the platform? Yeah, yeah right. I mean, the first, uh, the, the first thing it does is really to help. Um, and that was really the beginning of A-B testing in the beginning of the year 2010s. Uh, is really to help marketers to build better experiences. Uh, at the time, uh, before Camilleon, I was running a web agency. And I went through this uh, process where you're creating websites, you spend a lot of time through design thinking processes. But mm -hmm. then when you release them, well, it's never as perfect, perfect uh, as you were expecting. So right. you got to add uh, wrong good ideas or good wrong ideas. So you have to, ch you have to change things. And... In the past, changing these things on the website was ex extremely cumbersome, taking a lot of time. So we appeared on market and what we were providing marketers was really this agility uh, to make these uh, changes really quickly on the website and see which variant uh, variation was the most successful. So we started like this until 2000, I would say 17 and 2018, mm -hmm. experimentation was really the exclusivity of these marketing teams mm -hmm. or conversion rate optimization teams. But you've, we've seen this product-led methodology appearing yeah. in, in many companies. And today, you see more and more companies being product-led and product teams as well want to experiment. And the new trend is offering as well product teams the ability to test the feature that they are releasing on the, on the website or on the product. So to the ability that we, were that we were giving, the agility that we were giving to the marketers, we added these uh, feature experimentation, feature management features, possibilities for product teams to yeah. also test the features that they're releasing, be being able to test, uh, to push progressively or to roll back the features if something doesn't work well. And you were talking about engineers in one way or another, we're trying to offer, and that's our motto, if I can say, we always want to offer experimentation faster easier, smarter, but you need as well some engineering skills. So we're offering the tools for engineers to go faster and to release in confidence. Yeah. I, I, as a founder myself, I'm just thinking in regards to when you're testing or A-B testing a product or, or and, and how does it plug into Chameleon? Just, I, I guess, from more of a mechanical point of view in regards to like, yep. it's it, difficult to say, you know, host two websites without going through that platform. Let's say if you have Webflow, you can maybe A-B test in there, but how have you been able to build a product that needs to then integrate into other products so well that, that you can do that testing and offer a similar experience, but through, through two different vehicles? It seems like a heavy, kind of a heavy, heavy tech 
kind of an investment. What was it? How were you able to do that in terms of being able to plug into other companies and products and, and to be able to test and, and collect data? Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good question. Actually, for marketers, there are two different ways of plugging the, um, the, uh, the website of the customer. The first one is just installing a script. So sure. you install a script in the uh, tag management uh, manager or on the website. So it can, it's a matter of seconds, right? Yeah. So you, 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 you install the script and then this script allows you to make changes over the website. So it's not in the website itself, but it's over the website. And that really gives incredible agility to those who are able to make these changes over the, web, over the website. At the very same time, for adding scripts, now many, many websites have a lot of scripts. It may slow down your website. So there's been a demand to do things, what we call server-side, instead of being client-side. So we also provide SDKs. So the, the beauty of the whole mm -hmm. stuff at Chameleon is that the, well, we got to take DNA. So my associate, who is actually the CTO, built the solution. And he built it in a very smart way, which allows us today to offer uh, either SDKs or things through the, the, the script within a single platform. So either you are a product manager or a marketer, you can use one or the other options within the same platform. So you will share the same reporting, same data model, same interface, same ways of, of working with advantages, because obviously I'm not going to get into the details here, uh, but there are advantages of being client-side, agility, as I was saying, and there are advantages of being through SDK, server-side, because you can do things more robust and more complex tests. Yeah. And what, is, what does it allow in terms of the speed? You mentioned agility, depending on how the product functions, but in the speed of understanding how your best how the best version of your product, I guess, can be tested, but also can be identified through this testing process. How quickly are, if I'm a company working with Chameleon, am I able to give my results and understand my, my, my key findings quicker than doing it the traditional way, which is, I'm sure, you know, setting up a timeline, putting out a certain product yeah. or feature, closing that timeline, reevaluating, doing the testing simultaneously seems like such a, an increase in productivity. What, essentially, yeah. if you have any numbers, what does that increase look like? Yeah, well, there are two things. I mean, there are two things in your question. I mean, the first part is how quick can we get it here? You got statistical models here. So it depends on the, first of all, on the, uh, the traffic you got on your website. Obviously, some of the big brands, as soon as you have like 5 million unique visitors per month, then you can get results really quickly. You need to have these uh, statistical confidence. So, you know, more and more people are coming on your website. The more you have, the better it is. At the very same time, there's some new statistical models like Cupid. You know, at the moment, it's something that we implemented. So it, it speeds up this process as well. So it's not the uh, testing part here. It's the uh, statistical way of doing things. So you have to be extremely rigorous here, but we put a lot of emphasis on, on data accuracy. So that's yeah. the uh, first part of the question. The second part of the question is what are the uh, quality? Well, I, I would say, which kind of results can we, well, depending on the, how mature the website is and also on the certain test, you can get a great results. So can have like yeah. some, some websites experience 10%, 20% increase in conversion rates. But, you know, it might be because the website was badly designed at the very beginning. Yeah. So, but there's one thing to keep in mind when you experiment. Uh, if your test is a winning test, okay, it, it, it's a great news. But if it's a, a losing test, it's also a great news because you avoided a failure and you know that what you thought could have been something interesting is not interesting. So the whole thing about A-B testing is not to leave your intuition, decide where to go, because you can have a great intuition, 
okay, once, twice, but it's not a way of conducting businesses. Uh, right. You need really certainties uh, about, uh, you know, what you're doing. So instead of yeah. leaving the decision to the highest paid, paid person in the company or to your intuition, well, you rely on results and that's the best thing to conduct a business in general. Yeah, yeah. And thinking about your business, something you mentioned in the show notes was that you, you've been able to be bootstrapped for such a long time. And I'm not sure if you're, you're looking to, to raise funding or not, but I'm curious on, on how you view the operational side and, and why bootstrapping is so important for companies. And I guess also what would make kind of the, the need of capital in your mind to go and raise money? And, and do you see that need in the next you know, however many years or is, is bootstrapping kind of the primary focus for, for your company? No, I mean, bootstrapping is only a means. I mean, it's not a goal in itself. I mean, I mean, obviously, the fact that I had created a company in the 90s where capital was not so widespread also has some influence, for sure, for sure. No, I mean, but what I see today and what it always puzzles me is to see some companies raising a lot of money. And it seems like at the end of the day, the purpose is just to raise the money and, uh, and, and not thinking about the outcome. So you should always look at this as a means, not at the, in the end in itself. The reason why we are mainly bootstrapped, we raised a little money, but not so much compared with others, is because I always look at what the potential of the market is and what the size of the market is. There are always goods and bads, pros and cons about raising money. Obviously, pro is, okay, you get the money. The con is you get somebody in your capital, so you have to start dealing with other people. And uh, mm. sometimes it doesn't hand in, in, in good stories. And the reason why we remain bootstrapped is that we are on a specialist market. Um, and when you are on a specialist market in the B2B market, well, we want to go fast, but we want to go fast in the right direction instead of going fast in the wrong direction. And we thought that we had time to look at our product, you know, where the product fit was. And we didn't need investors for that. So we started in our domestic market, France, then expanded immediately into another market, which actually was Germany. We were very successful there. And that's when we decided to raise some money because we didn't want to lose pace with the, the speed of the market. So mm -hmm. we expanded into the UK and the US, but we remained basically bootstrapped and uh, mm -hmm. well, we succeeded. So I guess it was a good way of doing things. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, a lot of founders have, have echoed it. It's raising capital is tricky because sometimes well, the best way to do it is if you see a need, right? You have a specific product or vision or focus on, on what that capital is going to be used for. But if you don't in particular or have maybe a few different ways to use that capital, then it becomes a little bit more convoluted. You can you can start to think about ways to spend money in, in multiple different avenues. And then you have investor pressure to, to then use the capital that they've given you. And it's this whole different dynamic and expectation. But it sounds like from your point of view, it's it's very much so you, you're working at speed and, and it's not until something necessarily needs the interjection of capital to then move, move I guess, the pendulum yeah, forward in that, yeah. in that way. Absolutely. Um, I don't have any religion about it. I mean, really, sure. to be clear, uh, I think it's a, it's a great thing to raise capital once again, if, yeah. you know, the market size justifies it. Yeah, um, yeah. The wrong thing to do is to raise capital and giving high expectations to your next investors. You want everybody to win in the story. Yeah. So if your investors are not winning, guess what happens a few years after? So that's why sure. you have to be careful and, and just do the right thing. You know, once again, if it makes sense to raise $500 million to go faster than the other. But so what I'm puzzled about is when you're in the B2B sector, I'm not talking about B2C here, but B2B, well, sometimes you don't need things. Money is not necessarily the number one yeah. thing which will make you win. Yeah, yeah. And tell us a little bit more, more about the traction. How many 
users do you have? How many companies do you have on Chameleon? And, and how many are working on the product? How much testing do you see? What's excited about the growth you've had so far? But also, what are you looking forward to in the future? Yeah, well, today we got more than 3,000 websites working with Chameleon. So the traction is really, I mean, it's possible. We are driven by three things, I would say. The first thing is we are really setting differentiation. So this market has competition like any market. That's the beauty of the market economy. Market economy here, so we're not the only one. Uh, but we are the only one to offer on a single unified platform, both web and full stack and feature experimentation. So that sets us apart. So we have advantages compared with others. So some others may say maybe a drawback, but the number one thing is self-differentiation. You know, otherwise, if you're a me too, it's complicated to have attraction or you get attraction with money. So uh, the number the number number two thing is is the word of mouth. Obviously, we pay a lot of attention to our own customers, making sure that they're happy with what we do. So yeah, we got to take DNA. So uh, I would say that yeah, our customers are happy, but they're always your best salespersons. Yeah. Uh, so the best way to expand is to have other people talking about yourself yeah. to other people, and that's possible because we are in a specialist market. So conversion rate optimization specialists they talk to other yeah. conversion rate optimization specialists. And the number the, the third thing I would say is to be smart. Uh, the way we expanded was not trying to be the number one or trying to be the best. It was, and if you can be number one, because some players in this market raised enormous amounts of money, then you have to be smart. So we're making smart decisions. Like in some countries, we're working with the partners instead of trying to do things by ourselves. So it's these little smart decisions, which is creating as well these, these attraction on the market. Uh, yeah. What are some of the biggest challenges that Chameleon faces today? Well, I would say it's the it's really the, uh, the challenge that every single company is facing, and either it is small or big. You always walk on a on a ridge line, on a on a thin line. Things go extremely fast, as I was saying, especially in Web three. So a new competitor may may arise. If you are too confident, so you make very quickly the traction that you're having, or uh, uh, your own customers are losing faith. So I would say, basically, you have to be paranoid. So I couldn't say that, oh, uh, this, this is a challenge that we have today. Well, there's always a technical challenge, sales challenge, marketing challenge, and so on. It's more to be always uh, alert on what's going on. And, well, you see big companies in a matter of, of months or years, limited number of years, pay attention to, be, to always push your, your strength and, and keep your strength in this market. Yeah, yeah. If everything goes well, what's the long-term vision for Chameleon? Well, the long-term vision, we've seen experimentation as being a specialist thing 10 years ago, really expanding more and more. Now it's not the exclusivity anymore of marketing teams. It's really marketing, product teams, engineers. People want to get involved into it. In the very same time, experimentation is a culture. So this culture is expanding. Some people who were in one company are moving to other companies and so on. So our vision is really to allow experimentation and offer the yeah. best experimentation tools to each team within the same platform because marketers, engineers, product teams, they're expecting different things. Okay. So it's not the same tool for everybody. It's the same platform in which you will find the best experimentation, experimentation tools uh, yeah. for, uh, for each team. Yeah. I mean, yeah, nowadays, I love how you said that. It's like, it's not, it's almost commonplace to be experimenting. If you're not as a founder or as a team, then you're missing out on, on some expedited or, or I guess, yeah, I, I guess expedited uh, building or, or 
or insight into where the direction your business go. And, and, and speed is, is such a huge factor in terms of the success of a lot of companies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I always like to ask this or use this next session. I called my founder FAQs, but I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions and we'll see where we get there. But my first question to you is okay. what's particularly hard about your job? Well, I mean, I, I see it as a great job because I see myself as a conductor. Um, I, I, I did play the piano, but uh, now there's somebody playing the piano better than me. And same thing with the violin, same yeah. thing with every instrument. So uh, the toughest thing for me is making sure everybody's really working as a team because the success of the company is really the blend between different skills. So you have engineers, great. You got product managers, great. You got salespersons, great. Marketers, person, great. But if they don't play together for the same melody, then it's not going to happen. Yeah. So the most difficult thing is to keep everybody working together. I would say, I don't know if it's difficult, but it's a challenge, yeah. right? Yeah. And making sure that everybody's on the same line. I would add one thing, which I often hear about everybody, is making sure that people are also repeating why we are different, what makes us yeah. different. Yeah. Uh, people tend to think that, oh yeah, I already said that in January, so that's enough. No, yeah. today with all of us, we have hundreds of ways to divert our attention to something else. So you have to repeat again and again and again to the market what makes you different. And you don't feel like you yeah. speak to yourself. You speak to somebody, you might have said this thing once, but you have to repeat seven times something which, you know, so that it gets into people's minds. So yeah. it's making sure that everybody is repeating what makes us different uh, and not think that everybody knows about it because we just wrote it on the website. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What's what's a way that you've seen successful for maintaining, say, a, a fully dispersed kind of remote team? How do you maintain culture? What advice would you give to other founders who are working with a dispersed and, and remote team? Yeah, what we do is I pay a lot of attention for giving news internally yeah. and having everybody sharing these things. I must say that with what happened with the, uh, three years ago now, it completely changed this thing. And it's much easier yeah. now than it was yesterday because yesterday people didn't really uh, have necessary yeah. uh, uh, automatism yeah. to go on the internet and look at what's going on in the company. Today, yeah. many and many more things are being done online. Yeah, online. So you can keep a company a card with people remote in, in many different places. So yeah. we pay a lot, of, a lot of attention to it, but I would say it's probably easier today than it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you weren't working on Chameleon, what would you be working on? If I was not working on Chameleon? Mm -hmm. What I, what I would be doing? Mm -hmm. mm. <laughs> That's a question I was not expecting. Actually, I'm so completely obsessed uh, with Chameleon that I, I didn't ask myself this question. So I would yeah. probably recreate a, you know, a Chameleon this. I don't know. But yeah, Joker here. I don't know what to answer. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. It's good. I like to ask that question, especially for founders, because I, we're so in, entrenched in our idea and, and kind of in, in, in the mechanics of it, obsessive about it, but also sometimes it takes a second thing to take a step back, or sometimes there's always one thing that, that may still be in your mind on, on which direction you'd like to go. But I always like to ask that. Whether it was early in your career or now, what books or people have influenced you the most? Well, <laughs> there are many books. I mean, if there is one I would mention, it's actually a book being written by a French alpinist who was the very first to reach 8,000 meter peak, yeah. uh, which was Annapurna. So uh, his name is Maurice Herzog. And I guess all countries have these kind of books where the hero, the very first on a certain peak. And the reason why I'm, I'm quoting this one and I'm thinking about this one is because it's such an incredible story. 
Uh, I'm a mountaineer myself, and but I started in the 90s, and it's a totally different story compared with the 50s. And in this book, you see how resilient so people could be, and they had both both the faith and also resilience, and, and also intuition because the maps were not where they were, uh, where they are now. Uh, they had to find the the the, the path by, yeah. the, by themselves. So what I love about these kind of books is to see how these people made it in spite of the, the mountain of difficulties you know, that they had in terms of equipment, or the maps, which were inaccurate and so on. And it gives me, I would say, faith every day because it's not easy every day, but people have done things a thousand times yeah. you know, harder. Yeah. So it gives you a resilience. Yeah, I love the stories of resilience because I think it taps into the mindset and, and it really kind of... It, it, it help, helps you kind of come to a place or a center or at least a, a perspective or a lens, if you will, of, of how to approach a situation. And it's it's funny, whether it's business books or mindset books, you know, founders have a really cool way to extract knowledge out of anything that, that they read or ingest. So I always like to ask that question to see how you extracted your knowledge. Um, yeah, really that's a good question. Right? Yeah, yeah. I know we're at the end of the episode, so I want to give you a chance to give us your plugs. Essentially, tell the audience where we can find Chameleon, where it could be a fan of you as a founder. Give us your LinkedIn, your websites, everywhere we can find and support what you're doing. Okay, so you can find us on our website, so uh, www.chameleon.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, yeah, um, okay. and you can you, you can find us on the social networks as well. Um, uh, Chameleon on LinkedIn, of course, we uh, post uh, on a regular basis. And Twitter, of course, and all the websites which are specialized in experimentation and personalization. Amazing. Germany, I know we're at the end of the episode here, but I'm so such a pleasure only learning from your background, your experience historically, but also currently with what you're working on at Chameleon and, and how you continue this testing process, which is exciting to see because I'm sure that that's helped not only your customers grow, but you as a company grow and, and reiterating that process. So yeah, it was a pleasure chatting with you and I hope you enjoyed yourself on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I did. And I had one uh, advice to give to those who haven't been experimenting experimenting yet. So do it because aside from finding the right test, winning test or losing test, you will better understand your customers, better understand your users, better know your users. And at the end of the day, the difference between somebody who is experimenting, somebody who is not, is the fact that the one who is experimenting is always taking the lead because he knows his customers better afterwards. Amazing. Thank you.